0: Good morning, listeners, and welcome to today's episode of Blind Insights. Today we have a very special guest, Jeremy Cordo, a man who has spent the majority of his life on radio and who has seen so much change in radio and in questions around free speech and censorship and all sorts of things that are very interesting. Now, those of you that follow normal media may have seen that one day Jeremy was on radio earlier this year and then one day he wasn't. Everything related to this, we really can't talk about. So if you're interested in that stuff, go look at the media. If you're interested in learning about what it is to be involved in this medium of broadcasting for
1: nearly 60 years, stay tuned. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights. joined today by David Olney. How are you David? Very well thank you Tim. That's good to hear. We also have a very esteemed guest. Thank you for joining us Jeremy Cordeaux. It's a great
2: pleasure thank you for having me.
1: Jeremy you're 16 you're in Sydney. Yeah.
0: How many people were in the line to try and be the most junior person you know attached to a radio station?
2: (laughs) Well in those days it was a very different kind of uh, medium television was probably more the go for a lot of young people but the idea of um, 2GB, which was the key station of the Macquarie network which was about 90 stations around Australia and I had listened to them since I was uh, well I can't even remember I must have been I must have been terribly terribly young and radio fascinated me because here you were you 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 knew after a while listening to the serials that, it wasn't real, and there had to be a little room somewhere where people fired up the imaginations of people like me, mm. and they did it with Hop Harrigan and uh, Biggles and uh, the Cat Scratches and uh, dossier on Demetrius, and, uh, Missing Persons Bureau, <laughs> amazing stories which employed a hell of a lot of actors and technical people as well. So one day I was working at Angus and Robertson selling books. Because back in those days, you could leave school mm. and get virtually any job. You could get three jobs. Yeah.
0: If you wanted out of school, you yeah, could yeah, yeah, earn yeah. the next day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Un-
2: unemployment was about point uh, zero. So it was was effectively full employment. employment, Well, yeah, about 30,000 people in Australia in those days. Hmm. Uh, This is before Gough Whitlam came along and Hmm. he got rid of the tariffs and got rid of industry and um, apparel and footwear. And then, of course, came the electronics industry all out the door because uh, we weren't prepared to protect the Australian worker. But back in those days, <clears throat> I got a job at Angus and Robertson selling books, which I really enjoyed because you met some fantastically interesting and eccentric people, mm-hmm. um, all characters really, and you met a lot of the authors too. Ian Idris, who was a great Australian author, used to come in to check his sales because I think <laughs> Angus and Robertson's published him as well as sold him. Oh wow! Yeah. Anyway, one day I I was out for my little lunch hour and I walked up down. Uh, Castle Ray Street up into Phillips Street, where Two GB is one thirty-six or was. They had this sort of antiquated old Art Deco building, and uh, usually, if you went there, and I had sort of reconnoitred the bivouac a few times, and the number of actors when uh, something came up in um, Life with Dexter, or because they were still making serials in those days, even. Um, they would advertise for a character, an actor. And the line of people, I swear, would go from the front door of the Macquarie Auditorium, which was the downstairs area of 2GB, the The line would go down Phillips Street, through Bench Street, down to Circular Quay. So many people, how they did auditions for so many people, I don't know. Anyway, I didn't join that line because I don't fancy myself as an actor. I went just through the front door up to the second floor, and a lady by the name of Pat Halliday was in charge of, um, well, in those days uh, they were called personnel managers. Here they're called HR or or, (laughs) uh, some other strange euphemism. Basically she was responsible for hiring and firing. Mm. And uh, I said, I want to work in radio. Miss Halliday, I, I, I would love to work in radio. And she said, well, a lot of people do. A lot of people would. Well, let me tell you about it. You can get in two ways. You can, um, you can start in dispatch because we send these transcription discs because that's how they recorded most everything in those days. We pack up these uh, transcription discs and send them throughout Australia to all our 90 stations. And that's a pretty tedious job. Or you can join me up here on the second floor and be an office boy. We do have an an opportunity because there's a big, big turnover of office boys. I didn't know then why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's got
0: the word boy in it, which suggests by 18 you need to have changed your mind.
2: Well, uh, they didn't make it easy, but they certainly made it interesting. Mm. Um, So uh, there was a job there, and I went home and I said to my mother, because even at 16 I I, I, I did what my mother told me, uh, even though I went... To work to support her with my brother and she said no you can't do that it's not a it's not a uh, it's not an avenue into anything mm. you know you, you 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 don't show business these people funny people they have funny shoes and stovepipe <laughs> pants <laughs> and they can't speak properly and i said well Mum, it's what i want to do So she said, oh, okay, all right, go and do it. So I took a bit of a pay cut Mm. and went and became an office boy at 2GB where uh, you did everything, great experience. Working at Angus and Robertson's was great because you dealt with people and you had to converse with people, relate to people, Mm. understand people, remember people empathise with people. So that was good. a good uh, few months of training. And then working at uh, 2GB was, well, told you everything. You did the filing for all the country stations. You, you got to know a lot of names and a lot of people. Uh, John Laws had just come out of hospital with, I think, the second bout of polio. Ken Sparks was there, Brian Henderson was there, a lot of people. Eric Boehm, who was this great uh, war correspondent, who was, um, I think they made him uh, editor at large or something, because they were very big on news, even
0: in those days. Because it was the fastest form of news that you could get the story out most immediately to the most people in the most places. Yes. You know, TV depended on being at home and yeah. everyone plonking on the couch. Yeah. So in a sense, radio in that era was our equivalent of our smartphones and having
2: you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, wireless yeah. broadband yeah. now. It was instantaneous yeah. or the closest thing to it. And we had a lovely format at 2GB because well, pretty similar to uh, all of them, really, 2UW. And, uh, it would have been the same here in Adelaide uh, and the same in Melbourne. Uh, You'd call it an all-service format, whereby you had an entertaining breakfast program, you had a morning chat program, uh, you had music in the afternoon Mm. with a bit of sport coming up to drive. Uh, Anything and everything you could put in there that was well-spoken and interesting or entertaining found its way in. Uh, 2GB pioneered this business of giving people a one-hour show. and Deverson had a one-hour show. Um, uh, Brian White had a one-hour show. Uh, I had a one-hour show later on in the piece. And it, it was interesting because it, the listeners would never get sick of it. You, Yeah, you,
0: you were gone before you could annoy anyone. Absolutely. You know, so if it was the one hour of the day you didn't like, that's the hour where you might go do something where you're not near the radio. True, or turn it off for a short period, but just turn it
2: back on later. True, and the ratings yeah. were terrific too, because they were only three times a year, if that. Mm. They were they, you know, you didn't really, you didn't really have this uh, constant feeling of um, analysis and uh, observation <laughs> and results and sudden death and all that kind <laughs> of <laughs> you thing. Focus on what you were making sudden rather
0: death. than wondering how it was being <laughs> perceived, and be more yeah. concerned with perception than production. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. and. Uh, you... It was more of a gut-feeling-driven business. Mm. And that was not only the bloke on air or the woman on air, and there were many. Andrea, who was a great character, Mm. uh, used to boast that she had had more men's shoes under her bed than anyone living. And even in those days when you said stuff like that on air, that that was pretty... That would have been on the limits in that era, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, she was... um, she wrote a great book of her life called Darlings, I've Had a Ball. <laughs> and and her, um, her claim to fame, I guess, was she went to Hollywood as a very young daughter of a well-to-do family in mm. Sydney. Mm-hmm. And uh, she went to Hollywood and she became one of Max Sennett's bathing beauties, <laughs> which gave you some idea of how old she was, but she would never tell anyone how old she was. Mm. She was one of those dominant females, and she ruled the roost in Sydney radio uh, from nine o'clock until 10 o'clock, where she would sort of say, Hello, darlings. Hello, mums and dads. And she would just because of her wonderful, rich life experience, mm. she could enchant you. And there I was listening to that at my age, and I still found it interesting. Mm. And she would have been well into her 70s, a character. Uh, the whole business should be built on characters, uh, and it isn't. I don't know exactly what it's built on. I think, um, well, back in those days, you had people who ran radio, and it would be the same in Adelaide and Melbourne and Brisbane probably. It was all about the local thing, mm-hmm. not the networked thing. Mm-hmm. We, we ran the network thing. I think, very well because people could pick and choose and they could have this serial or that serial or this program or they could take mm. the uh, monitor program at midday. Or, But it was all very much based on the fact that all those network stations, we didn't own them. We didn't tell them what to do. Mm. We merely supported them.
0: Yeah, they could buy anything to they what wanted. they needed, but they determined what would work in their local market. Yes. So yes. they got the value of more product reliably delivered Yes. And accessible.
2: Best, best judge best of Best
0: of both worlds.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, and coming through all of this was the, the powerful business of the transistor radio. Yeah. Because that meant uh, people could take…
0: Radio in the shed, radio, radio in the boat, radio everywhere. And even in yeah. the pocket. Yeah.
2: Mm. It's a wonderful story about… Uh, I think it must have been Sony who had the first pocket radio. And then they discovered that for a shirt… Mm. Uh, the pockets were too small. So uh, the guy who ran Sony bought the two biggest shirt companies in Japan <laughs> made the pockets. Wow. and made the pockets bigger. Because awesome. yeah, he couldn't make the radio any smaller at that That's point. Horrible. He'd already miniaturised. No, no.
0: And again, this was the same thing that happened when the first uh, Sony Walkmans came out you know, for audio tapes. Yeah. You know, yeah. They could only be a certain size, which meant they had to be able to fit in the back pocket of jeans. And by that point... That was possible, but only just. Mm. Mm.
2: Lateral thinking says there's yeah. a way around every every yeah. every problem, and then of course the disc, the age of the disc jockey, came mm. in, and that uh, kept a whole bunch of people in the radio listening family who would otherwise maybe have gone somewhere else. I don't know where they'd have gone, but that was fine. We we um, the disc jockey became sometimes bigger than the record artists that he was playing there weren't any female disc jockeys Interesting. there were no female disc jockeys that i can remember um they were just you know the prince of patter and the nawab of natta and they had all of these snappy things and mostly were pinched from uh, the u.s mm. Mm. Uh, bob rogers used to boast that he, he had his program of top 40 radio Two ue had top 40 in sydney and here it would have been 5AD or 5KA. Yeah, I remember 5KA as a kid. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of the rock station of Adelaide. Yeah. Anyway, they um, they reinvented themselves. Radio was very good and always has been great at reinventing itself. And uh, for years and years and years, the, the disc jockey format people then moved between easy listening Uh, And uh, kids or top 40. Sometimes they call it top 60 or whatever, but it was the same thing. Mm. Bob Rogers used to have all these friends that he made um, in Qantas, Mm. and the airline crew would bring back, at his request, all of the top selling. Uh, singles of the day out of Los Angeles or New York and he would boast that he had them first fast
0: Yeah, uh, because it was a... Uh, um, it was almost an arms race to have the new music as fast as possible. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. and Do you think this arms race was part of what brought about the transition from all service to more and more stations just being all music? That you know, more and more teenagers started listening and it was like, well, okay, there's this whole new market mm. that is, you know, less talk, more music... And if there's going to be talk, it needs to be about music more
2: than anything else. Probably. But uh, <clears throat> I worry that um, the all-service thing was cleverly thought out by virtue of day parts. You knew what people wanted for breakfast. Yeah. And you knew approximately what your audience would be, your available audience would be at night or in the morning. Mm. And you would program accordingly. Now it's this kind of blind, idiotic, um, one-size-fits-all. You've got to be – you have to be a music station or you have to be a talk station. I can't understand why – All service hasn't come back. Well, not so much yeah. all service. But uh, if you look at the um, uh, evolution, perhaps not graduation, but the evolution to FM radio, mm. you, you have a, a situation where in America a lot of FM stations are talk stations. Mm-hmm. Yet here we have this narrow-minded view that if you're an FM station, you're a music station. If you're an AM station, you're a talk station. Mm. Why would you box yourself into something as silly as that? Mm. Particularly when you have this thing called digital, D-A-B, and that Mm. whole thing was based on the fact that AM and FM would eventually be a level playing field, Mm. which a bit like uh, AM stereo, you guys are too young to remember AM stereo. No, I remember... It arriving
0: on 5K, I'd say late 70s or early 80s, yeah. and going, hmm, my radio doesn't do that. What am I going to do? Because, again, <laughs> for me being blind, I would always have music on or the radio going because it was just the easiest way to be connected
2: to the world. Yes, yes. Where you know, reading the paper yeah, was just too. not possible. No, me yeah. too. I I, I found the, the radio thing to be a great uh, comfort and companion mm. and source of information. And also a source of culture too Mm. because you learned an awful lot about uh, the person you were or the person you wanted to be from the idols you had on the radio and that little speaker, that little tiny thing and as time went on those speakers seemed to get smaller and smaller but out of that came everything you needed to know and I've never understood why... Management hasn't understood the power of that uh, quality. I listen to FM radio now, particularly FM, but you know, I hear it on AM radio as well. And uh, what comes out of that speaker, I wouldn't put in my garbage bin. <laughs> it just sounds awful. <laughs> and if you sound, if it mm. doesn't sound right, what is the thing you're actually selling yeah you know it's, it's like um you know i know my limitations uh if uh, i was going to say art no because anything passes these days under the heading <laughs> of art as well but it, it's about standards if I wasn't able to do something, I wouldn't apply for it because I'd, only, I'd know I was embarrassing the person who would have to tell me the horrible truth. Yeah, and that mm. is goodbye. <laughs> but these days, these days, it sounds like uh, the, the, the producer or the uh, manager just walked out in the street, stopped the third person walking past the building and said, come in, you're a star. Mm. No, he's not. And he never will be. You can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Um, whether you're making movies or yeah. uh, you're making radio or you're making television, um, it's a race to the bottom,
0: whereas it should be a race to the top. Mm. Yeah, and this is an interesting point to try and work out when this transition happened. And this is what's interesting about podcasting now. You know, Podcasting is the wild west of anyone who wants to yeah. can have a go. Yes. But yeah. very quickly, the ones that don't appeal to anyone, or appeal to their 20 friends, yes. die after 8 to 10 episodes. And if you look at the proportion of podcasts that get about 10 episodes yeah. and then go flatline and that's the end of them. Yes, yes. But you know, to go back to why radio was so important, I think from the perspective of being blind, the wonderful thing with radio is it remembered that the listener needs to be engaged, but the listener needs to, in a sense, add something to it, their imagination. Yes. So when you talk about oh, yes. radio plays as yes. being such a big part of your childhood, we had Edmund Pegg on a few weeks ago, who's an amazing actor, who, you know, did tons of radio plays. Mm. You know, right through into sort of the late sixties as they were coming to an end. Yes. And like Edmund said, that's how in Australia most actors in that era got their start yes. and really established themselves as being able to learn quickly, adapt in a very limited medium make it clear, just from the sound of their voice and the sound effects being used, Mm -hmm. what was going on to make sure that they primed the audience's imagination. In comparison, television says, hi, here's a reduction of the 3D world into two dimensions, but I'm going to give you everything you need, so just passively absorb. So my argument would be that radio was active, TV is passive, the success of TV probably caused radio to become passive, thus your and my frustration with it. Yeah.
2: Does that sound like a, yeah, it it a fair puts assumption? it does. Puts it puts it nicely into perspective. Um, radio, uh, the old cliche about radio, is the theatre of the mind. Wow.
0: When... When was a phrase like that commonly used and when did it stop Well, being certainly, commonly certainly it, it
2: certainly isn't used today because yeah. there yeah. is no thought given to <laughs> the microphone, uh, my distance from the microphone, yeah. uh, my ability to use my voice or not use my voice. All of that comes with experience. Nobody mm. can teach you any of that. Uh, I put it down to the fact that uh, there's no show in the business. Yeah, it should oh, be show business. Yeah, when I joined Two GB back in nineteen sixty-two, Perce Campbell was the program manager. He ended up general manager, but he was the program manager. But he was Jack Davies' producer. He knew show business. He knew how to prepare the show to be entertaining, and he knew he who managed. who would yeah. work and who wouldn't work. Yeah. And you can't always explain to somebody why that program or that person mm. is talent and that one isn't. Mm. You can't always write it down. There's no formula for it. But the trouble is these days, if I were to go back to 2GB now, I would find that the person in charge would be an accountant. Yeah, not <laughs> someone who had been a producer or been on air. No, 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 no. I, my, my philosophy in business, and I've owned radio stations, and I've managed radio stations and particularly talk stations. Accountants are on tap. You don't put them in charge. Have don't them put available. them on top. Yeah, yeah, on tap, not on top. Yeah, it's a very simple thing because they have their their whole mindset, their training, their background. Everything is completely different. It's antithetical to doing
0: something creative. Yeah, they're there to yeah. make the books yeah. balance. So. If you've got this amazing situation where really you did an apprenticeship more or less, an informal apprenticeship where you did a bit of everything, you met a lot yes, of people, yes, yes. you were allowed to go further because enough people went, hmm, Jeremy gets what we do. When did that sort of apprenticeship version of radio start to disappear where, you know, as you said, suddenly someone gets dragged off the street to speak to the audience at the level the audience, yeah. you know, are acting, not at a level that is either entertaining, informative or aspirational. When did you start to see the shift away from the apprenticeship?
2: Well, uh, there was a, the apprenticeship and I think that there were cadet ships. The ABC used to run cadetships. Yeah, that was the formal version. Okay. Yeah, but, but they were always a lot more formal. Yeah. Now, of course, they yeah. are uh, uh, chaotically, um, strangely, well, unconventional... I mean, you, you, you tune into the national broadcaster uh, for whom there are something like, I counted them up the other night, 60 different outlets that people can wow. uh, tune into or yeah. choose. They're their ABC or they're related to the ABC. 60, 60, which is amazing. Mm. Um, and they are very fond of every four-letter word you and I probably ever heard and probably a few of the four-letter words we haven't heard, and yet they are the taxpayer-funded, should be the standard, the gold standard, but I'm afraid they're not. They should be.
1: Uh, sorry, four-letter word. Was that a euphemism for swearing or sorry just yes. or just small language?
2: Oh okay. No, no, right. a four-letter word. Oh, I, mean, I see. Yes. The F I, I, word, yes. the C word,
1: oh, and the uh, S word. Like you know. triple J? Or an oh, an well, that sort J. of thing. Yes. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You can
2: you can hear that uh, with uh, gay abandon, if you'll pardon the expression, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, on television and on ABC. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And back in the days, I, c- I can see where uh, – I'll answer your question in a second. I keep sorry sidetracking myself – but um, back in the days when um, Sir Charles Moses was the head mm. of the ABC. Now, that is a serious name. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was an interesting man. He used to collect axes. Wow. I it like him his already. Yeah, that was uh, his hobby. <laughs> he collected axes. But he was a very, very nice man. I had the privilege of meeting him a couple of times, talking to him on air once. He ran a meritocracy, pure and simple. It was just elitist. Then along came, uh, now what was his name? Sir Talbot Duckmanton. They all got knighthoods. Sir Talbot Duckmanton. Uh, Sir Talbot, he too carried on the tradition. About the time he left, Gough Whitlam mm. took over. And he realised that uh, the um, ABC was the antithesis of everything. Uh, it, was, it was the establishment. Mm. The establishment had to go. And the way you get rid of that, like you get rid of standards in education, is you <laughs> you you get people in there who make key decisions, you see. And it doesn't take too long before you have changed the culture. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you've got to look not so much at what they're doing but why they are doing it. I, I remember a um, – mm. not that Hitler did many interviews, but there was one <laughs> fascinating thing he said <laughs> – <laughs> he said, uh, with regard to Goebbels, who was his uh, uh, propaganda, propaganda guy, um, that he would have not been able to achieve any of the things that he achieved. Now, I, I take it from that there is a degree of pride in mm. in his mind. Uh, he wouldn't have been able to do anything without Hitler Youth or The media, or Mm. what passed for the media in those days. So you control the media. Mm. You control everything else. And you can control education. Mm. Mm. You have got the whole thing nailed. But does management understand
0: the audience and has the audience changed? No, I don't think the the
2: audience audience has changed. I don't don't believe so. You don't think so? I've been basically constantly in touch with that audience. Oh, well, since I went on air, which Mm. was 67... And when you're getting calls and taking almost immediate feedback all the time, you get a, a good feeling for what people are thinking, how tolerant they are, how yeah. narrow-minded they are. You've got a, a, a broad cross-section of, of humanity and no trend apart from the fact that I like to listen to things with which I don't always agree. It's how
0: you grow and learn. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. That's my audience. If you're a talk station, and as I say, I've managed them and owned them, if you're a talk station and you don't like that approach to free speech, Mm. you're in the wrong business. Mm. In fact, I would go so far as to say if ever I was in a, a governmental position that if I saw a radio station shut down a talk station, shut down free speech, I'd take their licence away from them.
0: Is there a risk also for talk stations that they end up sort of going down the path of a polemic, that they have one view and they almost take on the political role of spreading
2: that view, or in the main that's going to get them in licensing problem? No, I think you you have people on air who represent a broad range of views. Mm -hmm. You don't narrow it down. Mind you, you've got... I don't watch Sky, but they tell me it's extremely right-wing. Well, that was kind of the point I was kind of making. It seems TV has gone
0: more and more down that political. Well, they path. see they see a niche, yeah. and they go only for the niche. So, ideally, when you were managing and owning stations, yeah. the point of a talk station was to maintain the broadest spectrum of yes. views that enough people
2: might have to keep the station viable. Absolutely, and and uh, when there was a controversy, and there were many, there were many controversies. I rejoiced. Because, because that was going to be more listeners and hopefully Absolutely. A greater absolutely. Because okay. you, you, you have something that you can hang your hat on. So it's interesting if you you know, if we go back
0: to the idea of the really broad stations you started on that did a bit of everything. Yeah. Where the radio play stimulated the imagination. Yeah. Now in a sense, ideally in talk, it's two people having shows after each other who see the world differently. Someone listened to both hours and went, yes, yes, Hang sure. on. I have to think about both of them because yeah, yeah. I sort of agree with bits of each, but That's right. not the entire thing. So I need to ring in next time That's right. and go, hey, you. So that is the ideal model when it's working
2: well. Yeah. Well, when you hear uh, people on the air plugging for callers, you know you've got a problem. Are Ideally, that- they
0: should be ringing up with almost you doing yeah. no more
2: than mentioning the number once an hour for yes. anyone new. Yeah. Okay. And they should be angry enough about something you We're said excited. yesterday uh, to be be sort of have, have a hangover uh, with their anger for the next day. <laughs> yeah. But there is a, a thought that who was it? I think Churchill said, you know, if you're if you're not a socialist at twenty, you don't have a heart. If you're still a socialist at uh, forty or fifty, you don't have a head. <laughs> I don't know whether that's right, but. If you look at the talk show profile, the audience is 45 plus. Right. People want to listen to the radio mm. to have their prejudices confirmed, not challenged.
1: Yeah.
0: Which was my point about polemic stations, as it seems, mm. that if the audience want their world you know, reinforced, yeah. that makes life very hard for talk at its historically best and points it in this well, new dangerous direction.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the, the recent proof of pudding, as in the eating, Alan Jones, mind you, he was very expensive. He, they used to pay oh, him $4 ridiculous. million a year, but it cost them more than $4 million in in uh, legal fees. <laughs> yeah. So it was about $8 bucks a year yeah. that they yeah. were paying. But he was number one, clearly, for well, more yeah. than 200 uh, yeah. surveys, yeah. Uh, from which, of course, they could make an awful lot of money. Now, along comes Ben... Uh, Ben Fordham Fordham. was a nice bloke, nice bloke. And I I think he was saying, I think it was he, uh, he said, you listen to the program and you will not be able to tell my politics. (laughs) So he's the exact opposite of what talk would have been. Big mistake. But
1: but also that's not even true.
2: (laughs) So he's lying to the audience too. Well, yeah. But when I listen, I don't care what the guy's politics might be as long as he is giving me, who may agree or may disagree, a mm. go at expressing myself. Right. I don't expect to uh, – and it, when I was on air, I would not want people to ring up and simply agree with me because what? what's the hell? What's the point? It's just listening to right. two people agreeing with each other is a bit uh, boring. So there's a sense in which you have to be provocative. Mm. Well, you've got to provoke and you've got to stir. and you've To got have to... the dialogue, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you don't do that, uh, it's not, show- well, it's not journalism, it's not show business. No. Uh, it's. Well, uh, suddenly we're
0: at the station that plays
1: music all day and the 12-year-old tells you what song's up next. Well, yeah, oh, it, it would, right it would be too safe. To say to say anything that wouldn't be provocative almost would be too safe. Because like, well, what can you say that isn't provocative? The thing I notice, you know, I once aspired to be on radio, found myself not attracted to youth, Stations at ABC, and then too young to effectively do anything else at the ABC, Hmm. and then not entirely disinterested in, in a lot of what the FM stations were doing, and also completely out of reach for me because I feel as if the idea of talent now is more to do with celebrity and what they have done before than their actual qualifications to mm. be on radio yeah, you don't do an apprenticeship and become something no well you're a, you you're, get a hired you're an mm. export
2: person or you were on a comedian yeah or some form yeah. of soap opera yeah the comedian thing is just terrible that uh they are so devoid mm. of a reference point as to who should be on air and who shouldn't yeah. be on air that they just if you're a stand-up comic you're in yeah mm. doesn't matter Yeah, and they should be doing their half hour of
0: stand-up and then go away. That's not not drive or breakfast. uh, That's be funny in the
2: allocated time slot. But that's the problem because once they've done their shtick, once they've done their thing, uh, there's nothing else there but a whole lot of laughter. You've got Huey, Dewey and Louie on just about every (laughs) FM station and not one program director or general manager who's got the balls or the knowledge to say, listen, this is a great blank canvas we have here, is this honestly the best use that we can make of a broadcasting license? Mm. It's something you'd find on the bottom of a cocky cage in most cases. (laughs) But my brother, uh, my late brother, uh, who had a bit of fun with movies and a bit of fun with radio as well, um, he was a a, a much deeper thinker than me. Mm. He said there are two things that should get you into radio. One is what you say has to be so beautifully said. Mm. It doesn't much matter what you're saying. Interesting. Or what you say has to be so profound and so interesting that it doesn't matter how no, you, you say, say it. it. I love that. Yeah. But you yeah. can't talk rubbish badly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that's what I hear yeah predominantly all
1: the time. Yeah. In my training, they just called it crap chat.
2: Yeah, well, that's the that's you get it, you get it. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, it's it's disheartening for is for especially for young journalism media students. What what are the prospects to do anything significant, meaningful when what you see out there is not even interesting to you? And it's always Mm -hmm. so
0: hard when you can't apprentice. Within a system that works oh, that yeah. way, like yeah. you can't spend the few years going, can I learn all these little bits to a sufficient level to be given the shot? Yeah, you know, on well, what was it? Early seventies, you started doing breakfast in Sydney. Mm. And what would you have yeah. been at the time? Late twenties. Uh, yeah. Yes, I would have been uh, late twenties. So you're already yes. twelve years in experience before yeah. they let you do breakfast. Twelve years of everything. Oh, in every, the station yeah, 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 before yeah.
2: you're allowed to do breakfast. Well, I started out um, when I came back from the country. I did Midnight to Dawn at 2KY and then I got to Channel 10 and from Channel 10 I I came back and did some freelance work at 2GB where they were kind enough to remember me as an office boy Mm. because it wasn't all that long before because we're talking 69, something like that, and I was there in 61, 62. Mm. Um, And the job they gave me first was to read all of – John Pierce's commercials. Mm. Cuz uh, that's another thing which I don't agree with that's is the business of people saying well I'm I'm in a commercial operation but I won't read commercials. I think that's pathetic. Right. Mm. But John uh, said no I'm a journalist I won't uh, I won't read commercials. I'll just sit here. I've got a panel operator there and I've got a producer there and I've got a phone person there and uh, I will sit here and uh, pontificate <laughs> which he did very well because he had a rich wartime experience and he had met people and he knew people he was a very very traveled well traveled man i would pre-record on a great big thing called an auto cue it was and you'd pre-record all the commercials so all the panel operator had to do is press the button and he got the next commercial when it was logged and then it would queue up the next commercial, and that's the way it would go. Yeah, And endlessly I did this for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. <laughs> Sitting and weeks. in a little room on your own
0: reading ads. Yeah, but that,
2: that was fine. And uh, I got a few um, stand-in gigs. Um, I got a Sunday afternoon program, and that went well, so then they gave me a Saturday afternoon program, mm. and that went well. And slowly, slowly, it's a journey, yeah. a little yes. step yeah. at a time. Yeah. And you, then you get these uh, moments when the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. Um, and I ended up, as I say, doing breakfast. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I think the chairman of Fairfax, because back in those days, uh, Fairfax, uh, as in Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, mm-hmm. uh, they owned Woman's Day, they owned Channel 7, the entire 7 network, yeah. they owned the Macquarie network, mm-hmm. they yeah. owned The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. You had an enormous... It was
0: pre-cross-media rules and they probably had to divest something eventually. Well, it was sort
2: of either grandfathered or godfathered. I'm not sure exactly which term is more appropriate. appropriate. But uh, the idea was that they would not lose any of the things they had as long as they went along with the uh, innovation of the future. Mm. Um, But uh, the the chairman, whose name was Rags Henderson... R A G S were the initials. Cool. Everyone called him Rags. Rags Henderson. He went to America and in New York, uh, he go, go, sort of listened to these uh, stations that were really just youth stations. Mm-hmm. He was a he was a newspaper man to his boot heels. He knew nothing about radio, and uh, he said he came back and said, "We're going to turn 2GB into one of these very profitable." talk stations, we, uh, music stations. We don't need this talk because we have to have producers and we have to have... You know these people do their own panel? They play. They've they got the records in front of them and they got the turntables. and the, It's mm. amazing. He thought like an accountant. Yes, probably. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he found a, a very clever man here in Adelaide called Paul Thompson, mm. who was the head of uh, 5KA at the time. Mm. And... Uh, and you know, it was a huge jump for Paul, I guess, at the time, because he was king of Adelaide Radio, particularly rock and roll Adelaide radio, and he um, was given the job of turning this August talk station, key station of the Macquarie Network, the home of Jack Davy and Eric Boehm and uh, John Pierce and uh, uh, Brian White and all of these uh, renowned people. Mm-hmm. Everyone was sacked.
1: Mm.
2: Well, uh, Jack had died many years before, but you get the picture. Mm. Uh, so this became a um, uh, a music station. And how long did that last? Well, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because when when the change was made, the expectation was that it would rate its pants off. 2GB became 87, 2GB. And uh, John Vincent came over, took my job. To, he took over breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, were, oh, who yeah. ended up here in Adelaide in the late seventies, early eighties? Well, he came from Adelaide because oh. uh, he was at KA. Okay, so he came Adelaide to Sydney and then back again. So, yeah, right. Paul, Paul brought his okay. basically brought his, his people, Barry Bissell, and a uh, whole lot of other people who in latter years ended up on FM radio. Yeah. Uh, today, uh, not day FM. Yeah, possibly Today FM. Uh, SAFM here. Yeah, that's where I sort of remember some of these names. Because that's where Paul in the early Paul, mid 80s. Came, Paul came back uh, and started up uh, uh, a music station here. Okay. And that was SAFM. Um, and that eventually morphed into Nova, which uh, acquired uh, 5AA. In fact, 5AA mm-hmm. was the first thing that he bought okay. after the demise of SAFM. But uh, what I'm saying was it didn't last long. No, it, it asked didn't. me think, how long. I, I was going to guess no more than two years before they realised they'd broken the piggy bank. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were given – it was funny enough, you know, they didn't sack me, uh, and I don't know why. What they did was to give me uh, three news bulletins a day to mm-hmm. read, one minute at 1 o'clock, one mm-hmm. minute at 2 o'clock, one minute at three o'clock. Wow. And they didn't take my salary, my breakfast show wow. salary away. So I figured for three minutes' work a day, awesome. <laughs> so I had to be the highest paid person in the world. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, eventually Paul called me into his office and he said, um, I can't save you. Mm. Uh, in fact, I can't save myself because this is over. Uh, but listen. Would you consider a move to Adelaide? I came from Adelaide. I can tell you it's a very nice place. And I said, I know it's a nice place. I, I have been there. I, I went to a, a telethon there one once and got a chance to look around the city. It's lovely. And they said, well, they're looking for a – we own a radio station or half a radio station. They're called 5DN. Um, go over and meet Paul Thompson, who's the general manager, and just see. They're looking for somebody. Who will do nine to 12? They've got three people doing nine to 12. The old 2GB format of one hour mm-hmm. per one person, one hour the next person, one hour the next person. He's looking for somebody who will do three hours in the morning. So I said, What have I got to lose? I've I, I, I just bought a house, well, just before the flip from talk to music. Mm. Um, so I had a mortgage, I had uh, one child and a pregnant wife. With the next child, so there was there was, there were big motivations. Oh yeah. Well, yes. But anyway, I came over and Paul and I got on well, and we understood each other. And he was show business to his boot heels, uh, as was Paul Thompson. Uh, these these were these were people probably who accountants would never understand, mm-hmm. uh, but they they had an instinct for the business. So it's just an example of. All the twists and turns, and sometimes something that looks like a disaster turns out to be an absolutely wonderful mm. career move. Mm. Just the, the fate, yeah, the journey
0: rather than the destination. And also, having seen what happened in Sydney, there might have been a little bit of faith that if a station was doing okay at talk yeah, in its yeah. better form, yeah. reinforce that. Leave it alone. So, D, you know, five D, and I'm guessing for a while
2: was allowed to do what it did well with people who knew that works if done well. Yes, Mm. but uh, without sort of uh, – it's a long, hairy story, but uh, after um, many years, I think probably 12 years or something like that, Mm -hmm. um, young Warwick, going back to the Fairfax business, uh, got his company um, into terrible trouble. And um, I think in the middle of the um, Keating years where interest rates were going through 20%, (laughs) Uh, he decided he would buy back, privatise Fairfax,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: which was crippling. You know, crippling, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Fairfax went broke. They therefore had to sell. They sold um, the Seven Network to mm-hmm. and that didn't turn that out terribly well. well. Um, uh, uh, um, Kerry Packer bought uh, the magazines. Uh, And, of course, the Macquarie Network went on the chopping block. I was fortunate enough to uh, get involved with um, my trucking friend from Mount Gambier. Uh, What was his name? Scott. Yeah, Alan Scott. Mm. And uh, he and I, I only had 10%, but he and I bought 5DM. It was going along swimmingly until he sold, Alan, sold 70. No, he sold 30% of his 90% to SGIC. And then the accountants came in. Big mistake. A big mistake. SGIC would know nothing about radio. Um, were well, they just closed or about to close their last office? No, they were. In um No, this Grenfell is before, this is before um, the state bank debacle mm. because all of these people, beneficial finance, SGIC, uh, state bank, all of these were part of a of a culture which was far too entrepreneurial. And uh, they all got themselves into terrible, Mm. terrible trouble. However, uh, during the journey, SGIC decided that they wanted the new FM license that was on offer or up for auction for 5DN. SGIC, a completely different sort of SGIC today. Mm. um, But uh, back then... Uh, they gave, I was the managing director of the company at the time, so I know, uh, five, uh, SGIC gave us $6 million. They didn't lend it. They gave. They wow. gave wow. us $6 million to put on the table to get this useless FM license. Mm. And I said, what, what, Alan, well, why, why would we do this? We know nothing about music. We don't have any music people. We don't even really have a, a top 40 record library. This, mm. It really doesn't make any sense. We're not set up to be a music station. And he said, No, 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 no. SGIC will pick up the bill. That's OK. Anyway, um, no, I think they probably helped fund it for a while because it was a disaster. This sort of haunts me all my life. You know, you go to a talk station and somebody thinks it's far far better to turn it into a music (laughs) station. And this has happened uh, Mm. two or three times in my life. Um, But it all works out well for me in the end. I don't know why. Somebody's looking after me.
1: (laughs) Mm.
0: Or you keep engaging the audience, whether that's necessarily positive or negative on any given day,
2: and people remember I didn't know what I was going to get yeah well, we we grew up together in many ways. We've been through all of the crises of life together. Uh, they ring me when uh, they're in trouble, and uh, I, I usually end up talking about what I'm going through, and um, um, not that people aren't aware of it because it's it's um, it's an adventure. It's never it's never been boring. I mm. hope in the telling, it's not boring. Mm. Certainly it's not boring in the living. No, no, in the telling, it's great to have a
0: context for how all these things happen, because when you're just the person listening, you're like, okay, they were doing that format, that format Hmm. was good. Why did they just do this thing? So it's that typical thing that humans get excited, do something new. Yeah, and they give it think, a go. The
2: FM licenses it used to be something that was bright and shiny and new. It
0: was almost like kryptonite. But well, if you were actually
2: yeah. doing well before that, you probably weren't going to do well once you touched it. Mm, yes, you well, needed to be a different kind of station. <laughs> well, the 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 advertising agencies were very sceptical about the move from a bit like two GB. Mm. Uh, this August talk station in Adelaide. You're really going to sort of say, you know, where no wrinklies fly. You're going to. Um- <laughs> You're going to be a you're going to be a, a music station. Actually, they did. They 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 went out. I'm told. I didn't see it, but uh, they they put people in mourning suits and they dug a hole in Wellington Square and symbolically or ceremonially buried the old 5 dm <laughs> What a crass thing to do to yeah. your audience! Oh, what a stupid thing to do! You know, if you're over over forty or over thirty, go away! Don't listen to us. So I anyway, they did. Fixation with youth too—that has crept
0: into the media more and more, probably because of television. Yeah, everyone has to be under thirty. Yeah,
2: otherwise you look bad on the big TV. Well, the kids didn't come across. And uh, I, I think they, uh, the station made all sorts of promises to the advertising world that uh, they thought, well, if 5DN can get a, an 18 or a 19. Well, with the new bright, shiny FM license that's cost us $6 million, well, I, I guess we can count on a, a couple of points above that. Let's make it 21. yeah mm. uh, They came in at 3. Whoa. And they stayed at 3 until I came back. And started again. Well. I bought the place for a dollar. A dollar. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, it wasn't quite a dollar because but... <laughs> GST. Uh, after no, after <laughs> too early for that. After 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 um, uh, I I resigned as managing director of Five DN and, and was sacked as morning host, and then, uh, as fortune would have it, I I got the opportunity to buy Five AD. Mm which was amazing seeing as I had no money and uh, it was just a a very strange set of circumstances which I grabbed with both hands as a drowning man would. And uh, years later, I don't know how many years later, it became obvious that a really good thing to do because, what did they call it? A 102, 102 102.3 mix. Oh, well it was mixed only after I sold it. Oh, I
1: see. right.
0: So that's when it got the FM license, that was the rebrand. The rebrand yeah. was X uh, it was 102. X
2: one
0: oh two point three. I yeah. think
2: Alan called it X 1023 I remember 3. the
0: whole one oh two point three, but also remember going, Yeah, it's not resonating. Mm. No Which no. makes sense when the numbers were three.
2: Yeah, could be. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, it didn't it didn't work, but uh, I knew that sooner or later somebody was going to buy it and probably turn it into an easy listening music station, which was my territory. So I decided to be proactive and I would uh, buy it back. Mm. And I gave Alan 30% of the entire company, but I needed the FM license to move my easy listening format Mm. from 5AD Mm. to 102.3 mm-hmm. uh, today's easy listening 5AD mm. 102.3 mm. that's what it was and uh, we moved not only the entire audience but we moved sometimes we had to sort of send people out to tune their radio because people were a bit frightened if they, just that they went to, to FM they'd never, never find their way back, back. Yeah. yeah, get lost in there somewhere. I didn't know where the switch was on the back yeah well that's true I have trouble with that Uh, I don't go to FM very much. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, it worked extremely well. We grew the audience Mm. uh, and we ended up for quite some time with the number one AM talk station because we turned the old 5AD into 1323 AM. Mm. Uh, So we had the number one talk station and the number one FM music station. And kept them separate, which was the model that appears to work but we put them in the same building Mm -hmm. so we
0: had a lot of synergy shared resources which is what you'd learnt during your apprenticeship yep have as much stuff on tap
2: to pick and choose from as possible well we were the first combo no one no one had ever done it no one was ever allowed to Mm -hmm. have done it before we were the first wow uh and uh wayne clowton was our general manager who was our former program manager he was absolutely brilliant so once again understood the business from actually making radio before he managed it, yeah, yep. No, understood it. Um, Sue Fraser was on the board. We had uh, who was a, a long-time employee of um, Five AD. Um, no, it was a, it was a, an absolute dream run, and in many ways, I regret selling it. But uh, when you have a board of directors, you you tend to take the advice of your board, and the board said this is an offer that is far too it's good. It's too to good refuse. to refuse. Mm. It Wasn't yeah. the first one either. But when you've got 37% of the audience mm. between two stations, you you uh, you start to look attractive to a lot of people who think, well, gee whiz, here it is, ready made. But mm. again, the accountants
0: see that as this is good value economically, not yeah. realising how much work it is to produce two different products at that quality level, to maintain differentiation, yeah. all those things that are about the art of it, not the finances of it. No, oh, you're
2: very wise. Um, uh, our job really is to make it look easy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, people can blunder into that thinking, well, if he can do it, God, I
0: can do it yeah. better. Yeah. And that's what everyone said to us when we started a podcast. You're much tinier scale, but the first hundred will be practice runs. Yeah. So just get the first hundred done. Yes. And do learn it. enough to be okay from then on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's pretty much how it works. First hundred has taught us enough to be
2: able to pretty much deal with whatever happens now. Mm. No, all of, that makes, all of that makes a lot of sense. But, a lot of credibility but yeah. instead of um um sort of saying oh well this is working you know if it ain't broke broke don't, don't fix. fix it mm-hmm. <laughs> you you ended up with um after i think it was 18 months they started uh sacking people from 5ad and um uh, fiddling with uh what uh, is now called cruise so mm-hmm. you um uh, the australian radio network um Mm. I don't know what their combined ratings would be now, but I don't think they would be as good as the uh, outfit that they bought all those years ago. Mm. Mm. I'd be surprised.
0: See, I have a suspicion that part of what happens here too is historically if you get good people, they themselves do enough different things, think enough different things, read enough different things, experience enough different things, that the novelty that people need in the audience can come out of the presenter having had new experiences. Yes. yes. So novelty is there because of the level of awareness and reflection and engagement of the presenter. Yes. Whereas what we have now is two-dimensional blandness, which means every 18 months the audience is bored and it's like, well, how do we fix bored audience? Well, we have to have something new. If the people aren't capable of new the presenters, then you just get new presenters and you end up on this endless Disneyland-like cycle of look at you know, the emperor's new clothes <laughs> instead of actually having people who can engage yeah. with new things because they're interested and
2: therefore become interesting. Yes, and always try, if you're a presenter, to keep yourself interesting, mm. uh, and that's virtually by uh, through the business of experience. Mm. You never stop learning. You never stop listening You know, it's it's very hard to absorb things while you're talking. It's far better to (laughs) shut up and listen.
0: Well, you do your talking hour of the day and then listen for a lot of hours too. Yeah. To go, well, what are all the other things I can talk about tomorrow, next week, a year from now? Yes. That openness to going, I'm not a finished product. Yes. I'm a product in process.
2: Yes. No, it is the truth.
1: It sounds like there's a convergence of quite a lot of things, which is why I think we've never really been able to say this is the point where things changed. Because you've got the the move in of accountants, I guess, hmm. which I think is a compounding. Um, it was an
0: accelerated, definitely. Uh, is yeah. a,
1: is a compounding thing of radio being made more efficient and uh, advertisers uh, are gaining access to the platform more cheaply, therefore um dominating more of the actual broadcast time which is off-putting to listeners so that kind of compounds over time you've and then the replacement of three hosts over three hours with one host over three hour over three hours because that's more efficient and then as those broadcasters get replaced with, Mm. what should we call them, talentless celebrities? <laughs> well,
0: celebrities rather than people mm. who've committed themselves to being an engaging and engaged
2: presenter. Yeah, but they're not, they're not uh, round pegs in round holes. No, no. I've, no. I've seen it many times that you, an executive will make a decision and, and make uh, the wrong decision. Right. But instead of having the, the grace and the common sense to say, right, now that didn't work. The round peg goes in the square hole Mm. and the executive's solution to the problem is, give me that mallet over there. Whack, whack, whack. I will make this fit. Well, of course, it never does. Yeah. It never fits. But it's his ego.
1: Mm. Yeah. The people that run radio stations now weren't broadcasters, right? Is that something that we can glean? like? You owned radio stations, and you had the experience of uh, even being an office boy, like going right from the roots of learning how those places worked, all the way to being yeah, 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 on air yeah, talent. Yeah, yeah. You know, do the accountants have that uh, no. innate experience of show business, as you've said? You know, that's not
2: not their background. No, but I'm I'm terribly fortunate because I honestly think there is nobody. I've never heard of anybody mm. who has ever uh, started as an office boy, uh, panel operator. Uh, then announcer in the country, and then back to the city. Mm. Management, mm. program management, general manager, managing director, and owner right. of two of the most successful radio stations Australia's ever produced. Yeah. And that was more to the, the the glory of the people who worked there. Mm. I was just fortunate enough to be the one to look after them and pay their salaries. I, right. I, yeah, to keep it all running. Keep it all running. To keep the accountants and the managers on tap, not yeah. on
0: top, yes. to make sure it worked. No, absolutely. But to keep the focus on people who were interested in the art and craft yeah, right. of making good audience-focused radio. But, but you see, it
2: doesn't yeah. sound all that hard, does it?
0: Well, the tap and top argument. Yeah. If we wanted a simplest argument, that makes it would sense. be once you forget yeah. who should be on tap and who should be on top. Yeah. It's the same with, you know, working in universities for over 20 years. <laughs> the fundamental disaster has been to move academics from being on mm-hmm. top and accountants mm-hmm. and managers being on tap yes. to turning it the other way around. It's yeah. Essentially, the same as radio.
1: Is there an extent to which when accountants are on top, content needs to be advertiser-friendly? Things need to be... Risk aversion risk, kicks in. Yeah, 100%. Is there... Mm. An extent to which that content is mm, modified,
2: censored. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that. But things change in a heartbeat. I remember there was one event back in the 60s, which was because you could walk into a radio station, as I walked into it that day when I applied to Pat Halliday for the job. Mm. You could walk into a radio station, or you could walk into the Macquarie Auditorium and have your lunch in there, and you could watch them producing. A serial on the stage, yeah, uh, with the sound effects guy and the, the whole kit and caboodle, and, and fascinating and very interesting. But it all changed one day because, well, just to give you a little bit of the backstory, uh, the chief engineer was a guy called Len Schultz, mm. and he was largely responsible for you know building the entire Empire Radio Macquarie network. And these students arrived, and they were studying engineering or something along those lines. And uh, they said, we're, we're doing a thesis on 2GB and, and we would really love to have a look at the place, sir. Mm. And they were all dressed up and very conservative looking. and I was an office boy there at the time and I saw this with my own two eyes and they were given the, the, the royal treatment. They were taken around the building and then puffed up his chest and showed them all about the security and all about the, the, the how the... Uh, panel worked and how the relationship between the studio and the panel and the control room and, ah, perfect, and they were taking notes and uh, away it went. Uh, The next morning, those same conservatively dressed, well-behaved young men, uh, no women as I understand it, uh, returned, got into the building, no security, got into the building, went to the third floor walked into the studio, tied up the breakfast announcer, who was Graham Webb at the time, tied him up, duct tape legs and hands and everything. They had prepared their own tape, which they duly put on the Ampex tape recorder, big Ampex, and broadcast their own program. Now, it could have been... I suppose this is why when you have a coup, the first thing they do- I was going like to say, <laughs> that they'd been reading Che Guevara's notes yeah. from, how do I take over Cuba? Yeah, you take over the radio station. Yeah. Anyway, it was just a prank. It was a prank, but that was the day that radio lost its innocence.
1: Yeah. That's from, something
2: that something it was a prank that actually was so damn serious, if you look at the wow. implications of it. Yes. Yeah. And the implications were certainly serious enough to change the, the culture that allowed people to just walk Wander in. Wander in and out. I, you could walk in, go up to the third floor, and stand there in front of the glass and watch John Laws do his Drive Time program yeah. and no questions asked at all. Yeah. And he'd wave at the audience and you know, there'd be four or five kids out there. Yeah. It was, it was a, just an innocent, a really nice innocent time. Yeah. And uh, these kids changed it all. I wonder if any of them are still around. I wonder how They're much. They're probably was Supreme about Court that. judges and uh, God yeah. knows what. I've got a. I've got a. Uh, <laughs> in the old days, they used to have uh, hoardings, mm-hmm. uh, where you you uh, went to the corner and there was a paper boy, and he would say, uh, "Read all about it, extra, <laughs> extra, stop press, or whatever they used to say." Yep. And they used to sell the papers, but yep. to help them sell the papers, there were these things, and there was a sort of a, a grid. And a, a big sheet, mm. which was your 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 lead or most sensational story for yeah. the day, and that was your your sales aid if you were a paper boy, and uh, I got one on the way home, which said students seize two GB. So you still got it? I've still got it, and I've got it framed. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I still have it. But again,
0: that that's a really interesting moment to say. The, the people in radio didn't expect anything like that could happen. No, they didn't. And a no. prank, mm. it's kind of a cool prank in some ways, but when you realize the power of media, yeah. it's a really stupid prank because yeah. it puts ideas in other people's heads and it changes the way that media stops being part of the community mm. and suddenly has to be separated from it. And those with political power are going to become far more aware that media needs to be managed and contained. That's right. And kept mm-hmm. useful.
2: Yep, regulated. And, wow. Uh, 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 let's keep an eye on this because it
0: could be, could be really serious. So from that uh, up until that point, again, because it was so connected to society, it just went along doing its thing yep. and being very much of the community mm-hmm. and suddenly it was seen as more. Mm. It was almost, you know, if we go back to earlier talking about Hitler and Goebbels, it must have been like at some point they were sitting somewhere and went, right, you know, you're going to deliver speeches this way. We'll get this person to film it and this person to do the audio and record it. Mm. And mm. that's how we'll take over. Mm. So the planning to take over 2GB and the planning to create a, a demagogue, mm. not very different.
2: No. Uh-huh. But that one single morning changed every radio station and probably every television station in the entire country. Um, we lost our innocence yeah. on that day. Wow. What an interesting point. Mm.
1: I think that's a, a a good place to end, actually, because it's a nice little answer.
0: Yeah, it, it's a point where everything did overtly change. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeremy, thank you very much for your time and thank you for telling us about... A moment in history that really did change everything that you know we were totally unaware of <laughs> and for lots of great stories about all the steps and stages of how radio has evolved mm. and how you've evolved
2: with radio now oh, i've been very 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 lucky and i thank my lucky stars i really do i don't think the journey's over yet either by the way i don't know exactly how it's going to finish or where it's going to finish or when it's going to finish but that's part of what makes it interesting sure. yeah the next chapter yeah Well, we wish you all the best for that. Thank you both very much. Wonderful to meet you both. And thank you for thinking my little story was interesting enough to put in your podcast. And thank you, audience. Bye.
1: Hello, audience. Thank you for listening to Blind Insights. If you're enjoying the show, please remember to subscribe and share your favorite episodes or leave a review if you really love us. We'd love to hear from you get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter at Blind Insights, or you can send us a recorded question to the email in the description to feature on an episode. And also don't forget we have merchandise. Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out.